very good morning to you on Fellowship Day 374. I've just tipped midweek and I'm back in the office after a day on the road. A day this time, not strictly to give an invited lecture like it has been the last few times, where the last few times I've actually recorded a podcast on the road. Instead, today's a reflection on yesterday, which was in itself like just one of the most pleasant days full of reflection and nostalgia and memories of things gone by. Here's why. So I traveled. <clears throat> oh, we cough in there. Can you hear it in me? I'm not feeling my best. I am bunged up with all sorts of bogey type materials sitting in my nose. Here he goes down a wee tangent again. Yes, uh, see above many a reason for picking up ailments from my riddled children who go to nursery and pick up every exotic variant of the cold known to humankind. And then pass it right back on to their old Dan Ma. But anyway, that's why I'm feeling and sounding just a wee bit hoarse on the microphone today. But that aside, I travelled down from Glasgow to Newcastle yesterday. And it was part of some uni business. I was there to visit a student doing an industrial placement in a company. So the side note there is for people studying a degree, certainly in chemistry, it's quite common for a master's degree to have part of that degree essentially seconded out to a company. You go and do an industrial placement, a competitively placed play placed placement a competitively interviewed and selected placement where you'll then essentially become an employee of an industrial company for a year you'll go out and rather than reading about chemistry and doing highly scripted lab experiments and undergraduate chemistry you, you'll go out into the big bad world and do real live intellectual property facing projects for a company in the flesh, no holds barred. You're an employee and you're growing up, behaving as such, taking on responsibility as such for the best part of a full year. So at the end of that year, said student on said placement will get assessed. I am now that assessor. But why the relevance of Newcastle? Well, this is part of today's theme which is realising when things come full circle for you. Around 13 years ago, back in early 2009, I had the chance to start to think about the placement that I wanted to take part in the companies I would like to interview for when I was an undergraduate seeking my own industrial placement, seeking my own opportunity to go out into the big bad world and find out what this science stuff was like beyond the borders of the university bubble. And I'm cutting a fair bit of a longer story short. The company that most attracted me and were one of the first to reach out to several students in my cohort was Procter & Gamble, who among other places, have a base in Newcastle. 
But it wasn't all rosy and light. The first time I interviewed for Procter & Gamble I, is when I got the first sense that this was a company taking a slightly different approach than simply looking to see how technically astute I was or any student was that they might take on. There was firstly an online interview, not so much an interview, but an automated survey, if you like, that was testing the waters of your personality, what you would do when you were forced to make certain difficult decisions, essentially a multiple choice test to make sure that you're not a serial killer. Now that's vastly oversimplifying it, but even at that stage, some people get sifted out, not necessarily because they're a serial killer, but maybe because behind the scenes, the company has configured the results of that survey to give them a wet finger in the air indication of whether or not someone's going to be a fit for that company, that culture, the things that that company wants to deliver. So I got past that. Uh, many others did, some didn't. But the next stage then was in two parts. <clears throat> it was a, a live and chaperoned version of another multiple choice test. Excuse me a second. Where you were sitting in a room with some of the company employees, essentially going through what was an IQ test for the best part of an hour. There were more questions than you could ever answer in that time, but that was part of the test to see if you could work under that pressure. Just keep going, focus on answering and tackling as many questions as you could and not falling prey to the panic of thinking you had to finish the test. My first attempt at that test failed because I did panic, and I didn't get any further. The next stage would have been a live in-person interview with those people overseeing the, the IQ test. And I was devastated by that. I still remember coming home, uh, still living with my mum at the time. I came home... Uh, I remember slowly ripping the tie from my neck. <clears throat> I was meeting my then girlfriend, now wife at the time. And I just, uh, I don't remember much, but I still remember vaguely that it was a struggle to keep a smile on my face that day. I wasn't used to seeing that sort of real world failure presented before me. Um, I'd always been the overachiever and someone for whom failure wasn't an option. So tasting that in that way, as um, sensitive as I'm making myself sound here, uh, it was a bit of a culture shock and one that I needed. But thankfully, the company came back around again and I'd saw enough in me through my informal interactions with them to give me another shot. So I went through the online process again and got through that mysterious online test. I did the IQ, the IQ test again and got through that because now I knew what was coming. I didn't have such a fear of the unknown. I didn't have that panic of thinking I had to complete it. I kept my cool somewhat and just tried to answer as many questions as logically and as firmly as I could, making quick decisions wherever necessary. And so then I did finally get a chance to sit in front of two Procter & Gamble employees and go through a live interview. And this is where that original signal of 
things being a little bit different for this company really came to pass because where a lot of my other undergraduate colleagues were telling stories of highly technical chemistry focused interviews heavily weighted towards technicalities the Procter and Gamble interview was heavily weighted towards personality and real world situations decision making leadership it was a a very rounded interview in which technical knowledge and demonstration of that was a small part, but it wasn't the whole pie. It was a slice of it. And there were many other parts to that whole picture that played out in the interview, asking you to remember times where you had to rise to a certain challenge or show leadership, make a difficult decision, learn from a mistake. A lot of uncomfortable questions that at the time, I wasn't used to hearing from anyone, certainly not used to answering, and certainly entirely unfamiliar with the awkwardness of trying not to make everything sound, sound like a polished song and dance, but actually, you know, bear a bit of wounded flesh and show times where failure played a part of the story and it was rising above that. And remember as well, like this is me in my early 20s, so it wasn't exactly uh, an abundance of life experience at that point. So it really was a hardcore exercise and reflection and thinking about everything that I had tackled in my life inside and outside of education that could have been used as an illustrative story for this interview. And getting through that, I didn't have to wait outside in the waiting room long to be called back in uh, and said that things had gone well on the test that I'd got through that part. I put two celebratory fists in the air knowing that. And then I was told that sometime later that day or tomorrow I would find out whether or not I had been selected to interview. So I went home again and the phone rang that night and when the phone rang, pleasantries lasted all of 10 seconds before being told that I was in, that Procter & Gamble wanted to hire me as an entry level two intern and that I was coming to Newcastle for the year. I was firstly ecstatic. I was just overjoyed by the fact that I'd been able to overcome that previous failure. And I was riding that wave for a little while until the phone rang again a few days later. I was in university, I was in one of the computer rooms doing a bit of studying when the phone rang from one of the same two people who had interviewed me. And now that we'd gone past the formality of selection and being told that I was going to be joining the company, conversation turned to where in the company I was likely to be working. Now this is a pivotal bit of the story where later You'll find out why I'm talking about this theme of coming full circle. On that second phone call, I was told that I shouldn't expect to be really refining any of my hardcore synthetic chemistry skills as I might have expected to do in some other company. I wouldn't be making a lot of pills and potions and materials in my year in this company. It wouldn't be anything like doing a job or a project or a placement 
in a more pharmaceutical facing company, Procter & Gamble's largely a domestic product company. And that was the first thing that was, to my little naive mind, an alarm bell. I was learning all of this hardcore science about how to make molecules. And here was someone telling me I would be going on a placement and doing nothing of the sort for a full year. So still very focused on a degree and exams and passing and doing well and overachieving. That to me sounded like I might be behind others when I come back to finish my degree the year after the placement. And that I sunk deeper into that silly little rabbit hole and kept falling and falling when I heard that same person on the phone say then that not only would I be unlikely to be making many chemicals in my time in the company, but I might be working on a more engineering-facing project. In fact, I might actually be working on projects to do with understanding how ready-made formulations of a, a detergent, a washing-up powder, worked in certain types of washing machine. Once again, this phone call is happening to me in the mid-stages of my first undergrad degree. I was in my late teens, early 20s. I could not work a washing machine. I was still at the tail end of being uh, somewhat coddled at home. I had never really lived away from home. And yeah, I, I didn't really have to breed that level of independence. So when someone comes on the phone and tells me, you're doing a chemistry degree, come to Newcastle and do essentially no chemistry for an entire year. Not while you're working in the company. You might do a little bit of chemistry for your distance learning assignments at university. But come to this company, do no chemistry for a year. Oh, and by the way, why don't instead, instead of you working on your specialism, why don't we thrust you into an engineering environment that you know nothing about and learn to work washing machines that you at this point in your life barely know how to turn on? Uh, to put it politely, I was bricking it. I, on that phone call, made no qualms about showing my reticence to join that project or that department. I didn't hold back in saying, I'm not actually sure about this. I know there's been a lot of effort both to engage me and to give me a second shot at interview and selection. And here's me now saying I'm not sure if I actually want to come because this sounds too uncomfortable. This sounds too far outside my comfort zone. But what happened on the rest of that phone call has stayed with me for the 12 to 13 years since. Because thankfully, the dear Procter & Gamble employee on the other end of that phone call convinced me that it was worth a shot that feeling that level of discomfort was actually a good thing and that there were many things that I could learn on that project that would be transferable back to the specialism that I was clinging on dearly to at the time. Hi folks, I hope you're enjoying day 374 of the podcast so far. A quick one at this halfway point, a reminder that my new book, You Are Not A Fraud, a Scientist's Guide to the Imposter Phenomenon is available now, and you can grab your copy as an ebook, paperback, hardback, and soon audiobook from the links in the description. Thanks in advance for checking it out. Let's get on with the episode.
I started a few months later than all the other interns who had been selected from universities around the UK. So I was coming in cold. They'd started to make bonds and friendships. So there was, you know, around four to eight weeks in the beginning where that first social struggle, trying to rip myself from the isolation, was a big enough challenge itself. But I was still holding on to the fear of what the hell I was going to be doing day to day in this company. But fast forward through the struggles of learning company culture, through the struggles of building responsibility and some leadership. When I was working in what was essentially an engineering department amongst very few chemists, mostly engineers, I learned new ways of looking at picking problems apart, of optimizing a particular problem to get the response from that problem that I wanted. That's, I'm really struggling to, to put this more articulately, but I was taught techniques that helped me look at the big picture of a problem and better draw the appropriate puzzle pieces of that problem and how to pull it apart before putting it back together again in the most optimal fashion. The best way to take on new detergents into the world for working in different types of washing machine or hand wash and learning how those same tools could be applied by colleagues looking not at detergents but at dishwasher tablets or water purifiers or stain removers. It was a technical skill, but it wasn't one necessarily married to the chemistry that I was hiding behind. It was a transferable skill. I then was told that I couldn't at some points write the long-winded, verbose, purple, prose-esque theses that are often demanded of university life, but I had to create one-page reports of three months' worth of work so that my boss's boss's boss, who had no time at all, could read the first few sentences and take away the essence of what I'd done in that time. That those with a little bit more time could read a whole page of what I'd done, but no more than that. Certainly not three pages or five or 55. I had to learn very quickly then how to write more concisely. And then beyond that, I learned that a company like this one has people who will come in at a certain level. Some will walk down a managerial path up the career ladder. Others will take a technical path and that there was some flexibility there. And that more than that, that where you started your work wasn't necessarily where you would end it. You wouldn't go into one department, stay there for 30 years and retire with a golden handshake and a nice little watch in a box. You could move around from function to function to learn what colleagues in other disciplines and other departments and other ways of working did their job so that you could start to make connections across the board to see where your upstream technology might best be understood and reduced to practice downstream. Inside the same walls of this company, you had people looking at the building blocks, the chemistry underneath the thing that you eventually throw in your washing machine to clean your clothes. There was that on one side and under the very same roof where marketing and product design teams bringing in the end customer, the end consumer and road testing some products, 
that was the first time in my life, one of the only times in my life I've had the privilege of seeing something go from the ethereal, abstract, fundamental building blocks, the hardcore science, all the way through to a product reduced to practice and that could get in the hands of the person that you were looking to serve. That to me was mind-blowing. And that to me was something I never, ever could have conceived of if I had stood in the dark university computer room and said, thanks, but no thanks, I'm not coming to Newcastle, I'm not coming to Procter & Gamble. These are just some of the reasons I'm forever grateful of being convinced to do the opposite of what my instinct was telling me that first day. But the story keeps going because parallel to all of this, I was making some dear friends, among whom were three guys who together as four would be those that I'd hang around with day in, day out, who would jovially rip my character to shreds and I theirs. The way that, let's face it, guys seem to do to one another is terms of endearment. And I would never change it for anything. So that was all happening in parallel with these lined up revelations of ways of working in research that I couldn't possibly have learned within the university walls. But those technical revelations kept on coming because one of the big projects I ended up being a part of was firstly one of those projects where I learned for the first time that to do something truly ambitious, you need to realize that you are but a cog in the machine. Not in a bad way, but that the part that you can bring will be one part that delivers something greater than the sum of any one. The thing that we were working on aimed to be worlds away from the sum of its parts. I hesitate again because I keep mixing up analogies, but bear with me as I reflect on this because it does come to the point of being full circle. But the fullness of this and what I realized in that one year can't be underestimated and it's still influencing what I and my team do to this very day, more than a decade later. But the main project I was working on, this big one, was one where I was working with chemists, mechanical engineers, product designers, marketeers, and we were all trying to understand some aspect of washing machine design. I can't say too much more than that because this in the end is uh, part of company know-how and something I'm strictly sworn and signed up never to speak of. But what I can say is that it was a project that took us from humble beginnings, poor prototypes, horribly incomplete solutions to problems, 150 failed attempts at something, many a photograph that we now look back on and laugh at because of just how embarrassingly bad our first attempts to solve this problem were. But by the power of grayscale, for anyone who is of my generation and will hang on with a wee chuckle to that He-Man reference, did we get to the most Star Trek level solution to that problem that just gives us me a smile every time I think about it. It involved us leaving the company and going to collaborate with a university, dealing with radioactive chemicals I didn't even know existed. 
and finding ways to get masses of data that helped us model a particular problem in a way that just had never, ever been accessible before. Now, where all of that comes full circle, and I wish I could say more, but where all of that comes full circle was when I got off that train to Newcastle yesterday. I returned to this company over a decade later after I'd gone back from Procter & Gamble and finished my degree and made the difficult decision not to go straight back to industry and work for the company, which was graciously offered to me, but to pursue a PhD and then go further down the academic road and do a postdoc and struggle past failure into my first independent post, get essentially made redundant at the end of that, struggle to find another job, go into a teaching post at another university, eventually win a two-years-long struggle to get the fellowship that brings me to here and now in the podcast that you're kindly listening to. All of that professional struggle side-by-side with life happening to me, people in my life falling away, dear, and as I've articulated quite openly in the past, very close family members dying, starting my own family, going well beyond the wee boy who couldn't work a washing machine over a decade ago, going into Procter & Gamble. But all of that had happened, all of that, and over over the period longer than a decade, to eventually bring me back full circle to visiting Procter & Gamble in Newcastle, not as a naive, green-fingered student who knew absolutely nothing, but as someone a little bit more seasoned, going into the company not as a student, but rather the assessor of a student who was there doing the same sort of job that I had been so scared to even attempt over a decade before. So things had come full circle because... I was no longer the student, but the assessor. But they'd also come full circle because I then had a chance to let the physical environment wash nostalgia over me, to bring a really quite immeasurable level of gratitude to me, to understand fully and in the flesh that this place I was once so scared of that threw me in the deep end of a multidisciplinary project, multidisciplinary project that I thought I could never even attempt, had stayed with me both partly consciously, partly subconsciously, to influence not just how I approach problems now, but even the science that my team and I have the privilege to work on now. When I was at Procter & Gamble, I understood the magic of imaging for the first time and the power of cameras. That now is the thrust of the innovations that our team are working on in the imaging space for solving chemical problems. I could never have known that back then, that the seeds planted, the ways in which my eyes were opened to things I didn't even know existed, would stay in the recesses of my mind and slowly and silently feed me ideas that I didn't even know to link back to that time in the company. So yesterday, when I was there assessing a student, the icing on the cake was to be able to see old friends and old faces, the likes of whom 
were my mentors and managers and leaders at the time that I was there in the company. Many, of course, had moved on. Some had retired. Um, some, sadly, had, had left for more challenging circumstances. Places and people change, but some of the faces, thankfully, were the same. And amongst them was one of the people who had invited me onto this big project of which I was a small part, but was forever grateful to have been a part. And to be able to see one of those people in the lunchroom and go up to them and eyeball them and say, thank you for letting me be a part of that. Um, yeah, it just took me aback. It was, it was actually quite emotional. I didn't get emotional in front of these people, but I felt it. And it's quite hard to let it sink in how much it was necessary to have that gratitude delayed the delayed gratification of having to wait over a decade to do that in the end was absolutely necessary. I couldn't have seen it if I went to Newcastle again just a year after being a student there. Life, the struggles thereof, and my own non-linear progression through a career all had to happen before I could get the fullness of how fun it was to return to Newcastle and to Procter & Gamble yesterday. And I was able to say this to some of my friends who weren't there that day, but were with me back in the day during placement. So in this, once again, longer episode than is the average for the Read Indeed podcast, I turn the lens back towards you as ever. Where are the moments in your life and career where you've come full circle? Where were you on one side of the coin and now? rest on the other when were you at one side of the table and now you're on the other find those where you can and use them as one of the best gratitude exercises you'll ever come across through the pains and the struggles of how you've got to now finding those moments of coming full circle will help you realize the fullness of your efforts to get to where you are I hope you find them and I'd love to hear from you when you do. As another gentle reminder, if you're still with me, on any of the podcast web pages that are linked in the description or are at www.dr-merc-reid.com forward slash podcast, all of the podcast episodes are listed individually. Each and every one has the blog for that episode. Each and every one has the form at the bottom where you can reach out for Q&A episodes, to tell me your story, to comment on what I'm saying here, to ask a question, either in the written form or you can upload the audio of your question or comment. I'd love to get it. I'd love to hear your story rather than me just telling mine all the time. Reach out. What's the worst that can happen? I'll get back to you from the head and from the heart as clearly and openly and truthfully as I possibly can. For now, Thanks as ever for being here. I hope you can reflect on coming full circle. Be well, take care, and I will see you again soon for yet another episode of the Read Indeed podcast. Mm -hmm.